Welcome to Lakewood Sermon Podcast. We're glad you're here, and we'd like to invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 online at lakewoodok.com live. Or we'd also love to see you in person at our campus in McAllister. Well, good morning again. <laughs> There's a story uh, that I was told one time. It's uh, a wife wins a trip to backpack across Europe. Uh, her husband has to stay home and work the farm, so she, she packs up and she goes. And her first night on the trip, she calls back. She, she finally arrived in England, and uh, she calls her husband, and she says, I'm in England. How are things going in America? And he says, well, your cat died. And her response was, uh, well, what a horrible way to tell me. Why would you just say it like that? Why wouldn't you break the news slowly to me or something like that? And the husband said, how, how would you have preferred me to say it? And she said, well, you could have said it like this. Maybe when I got to England, you could have said, the cat's on the roof. And then whenever I got to Germany, you could have said, the cat fell off the roof. And then when I got to Scotland, you could have said, it's not looking good. And then when I got home, you could have told me, I'm sorry, we lost it. And he said, I'm so sorry. I, I guess I just don't understand how to communicate very well. And she goes, it's fine. I'll be fine. Uh, just if you could check in on my mother and then I'll be back soon. And he goes, okay, I'll check in on her. But she's up on the roof right now. We might have to give it a second. Um, you know, it's just one of those things to where you, you don't know. Like, I mean, where sometimes it's a, a difficult thing to share news. And while, while I hope to do a better job than the husband and the wife and that the communication will be better today, uh, I do have some news to share. Uh, you know, this is a time of year where we come together and we, we worship and we celebrate uh, the greatest news, the news of the incarnate Jesus. And so today, uh, while uh, this is the Sunday after Christmas, this is the Sunday where, as a church, we're going to be focusing on Christmas together. Uh, so I'm excited. Let me stop, though. Let's take a moment. Let's go to God. Let's ask him uh, to speak today. And uh, let's, let's listen. Uh, Jesus, we love you. Father, I ask that you would speak. God, this is your word. This is what you did. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would take over me, um, that you would uh, take the words and that you would communicate them. God, that you would break through the fog, that you would be the one uh, that communicates your truth to the world. God, thank you that we get to be a part of what you're doing in this world. God, I ask that you would help us now uh, to be struck by what you've done. I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, <clears throat> I, I am right now uh, still on the mend. I, I am finally out of quarantine. This is my first official day out of quarantine, and uh, it's weird to be around people again, even if there's only a couple other people in this room. Uh, it's nice to be outside of my house. Uh, I do miss the ability to taste and smell things, and I'm very much looking forward to that coming back. Uh, but right now, my biggest excitement is that I get to come with you today, and we get to talk and share from the Word of God. And so let's dive right into it. We're going to start right at the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. It says this, listen. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. <coughs> Excuse me. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. 
So the earth was covered in darkness, which really isn't a thing. Actually, darkness is the absence of something. Darkness is the absence of light, not necessarily the presence of darkness. But as one of his first actions, God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. So there we go. I find it interesting and kind of amazing that one of God's, or God's very first action in, in creation was to bring light into the world. Notice he didn't make the stars yet. He didn't make the sun yet. He brought light into the world. And then God's light of creation continued as he created animals, as he created birds, as he created fish, as he created seas and land. And then God created something new, something that was to be made in his own image in the image of the eternal God. God created man. And so male and female, God created his children who walked on the earth and experienced his presence. He placed them in a garden that would meet all their needs. They lived in paradise. And at that moment for me, I would look at that and say, all right, job well done. We're finished now. Nothing else has to happen. The people are with God, they're in the garden, they're well taken care of, they're in the presence of the Lord all the time, they're right there with the light. This is good. Everything about this is good. It seems like the plan is working at this moment. But because a relationship, a real relationship where real love happens, because a relationship like that requires the ability to choose, God placed in the garden a tree. And he told Adam and Eve, don't eat from it. It's the first time that they've been told no. And just like us, we don't like it when we're told no. But God placed in this garden a tree. And Adam and Eve eat from it. They believe a lie that's given to them by a serpent who causes them to question not just uh, whether or not the fruit would be good, but it causes them to actually question the very goodness of their creator. And instead, they turn away and do the one thing that God told them not to do. But before we hit too hard on Adam and Eve, we have to take a second, and we should probably acknowledge that in their position, we would have done the exact same thing. Now, you may be there today and sit there and say, in that situation, in those circumstances, I would never eat the fruit. I don't even like fruit. I wouldn't go after it. But understand this, they were in a perfect condition with God. They had every reason to trust him and no reason not to. There was no distraction. And in these perfect circumstances, they still leaned toward their desire over God's command. And even the best possible scenario was not a recipe for perfect obedience. And today, we're in nowhere near perfect conditions. The amount of distraction and desire that floods our hearts daily, uh, all of our worries, our regrets, our guilt, our pride, and how often do we reach for our own understandings and our own desires instead of what God has called us to? We don't choose God well today, and we wouldn't have chosen it then, him then either because we're in the same boat. Adam and Eve just happened to be the first. But now Adam and Eve get to experience another first. Shame. 
They hide from God. The relationship is broken. And they go from living in a garden with every need met, uh, all the food that they would want. It's water. It's a self-watering garden. That's awesome. <laughs> they go from living in that garden with every need met to now they're living outside the garden, fighting for the ability to survive. And I read that and I think, how disappointed must they be in themselves? How much did they get after that point and look back and say, guys, if we could have just not done that, if we could have just not eaten the stinking piece of fruit, if we would have just told the serpent to just go his own way or whatever. All the effort that went into creation and they can't even keep from just stepping off the path. And really, that's a message that resonates with me and maybe all of us right now. That idea of disappointment. You don't have to look too far in 2020 to find times of disappointment, to find plans that were canceled, uh, to find expectations that weren't met. Uh, the, the lives that we've had to live over this past year have been so isolated and have had so many times where we, you know, we would make plans, even in our staff meetings, we would say, hey guys, we're making these plans, but really everything comes with this asterisk that says it might not happen. Disappointment is something that's very real uh, in our world, and we can resonate with that. And I know I'm not alone because everyone, almost everyone that I know has some kind of setback because of this pandemic. But right now, one of the setbacks is what we're experiencing at the moment. We're watching online. We're watching on TVs and iPads and phones and computers instead of sitting here in these seats, uh, sharing life together, seeing each other's smiles, looking around the room, giving nods to each other. And so at least in a small way, I believe that we can understand the disappointment of plans not going the way we thought they should or things not going to plan. But then something happens in the text because I can read that and I can say, God, I get it, man. I get that you were so disappointed because you did all this work and you set up all this creation and you did it so perfectly and you made this incredible paradise for your people and then they screwed everything up. You must be so disappointed. But then we read in the text something that completely changes my perspective here. God's talking with Adam, Eve, and the serpent and he says this to the serpent in Genesis 3.15. It says, I am going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So in the moment of the fall, God says that from offspring to offspring to offspring, there will come a time when the child of this woman though being struck in the hill, will crush the head of the serpent. What God is saying here is that there's going to come a time when the deceiver will put down, or where the deceiver will be put down and the relationship will be destroyed. So at this moment when everything seems to have completely gone off the track, and I would look there and say, God, why are you, I mean, you have to be so disappointed right now. And I would look there and I would see that what we get from God instead is not a thing of saying, I am just so disappointed. Or it's not God sitting there saying, well, look at all this work gone to nothing. No, instead what God says is this, there will come a time 
wherein the offspring of the offspring of the offspring will set this right again. So even at the moment when we see everything going against the plan, we see everything fall, God's response is to say that this is the plan. This doesn't, th- this doesn't throw him. This is the plan from the beginning. He wasn't surprised. And so often when we see failure, when we see things that don't work out, what actually God sees is purpose. And so when I look at 2020 and I look at all the things that have happened this year and I look at all the things that uh, have really gone down this year, it'd be easy for me to look and see the disappointment of canceled plans, of canceled uh, expectations. But I also see all the good that's come as well and the plan of God. Because yes, while we have had times where we haven't been able to meet in the building, Man, God has just awoken this understanding of how much we need the community of the church. And so often in our life, whenever we see detours, God actually sees his purpose. And so if I can do anything at the beginning of this, it's just to encourage you that whenever you have the moments of disappointment, look for the purpose. Look for what God is actually doing because even in the middle of the fall of man, God was at work doing something. And it wasn't his plan B. It was his plan. He wasn't surprised. And we can see that he wasn't surprised because of the writer John in his uh, gospel. In John chapter 1, starting in verses 1 through 5, it says this, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. One of the very first commands God said was, let there be light. And at the beginning of John, we see who that light was. It's the word. The word that John uses here is the word logos. Um, It's a Greek term meaning reason. Uh, And I really, I love this word. It's this idea. John used this because he was writing to a predominantly Greek audience. And they had this understanding of what they called the logos, which means that they had a belief that everything at its core, there was something called the logos that just, it was the reason behind everything. And so what John does in the beginning of his Gospels, he starts out by saying, in the beginning was the Logos. So he starts it right at the beginning with him saying, in the beginning was the reason. He starts by saying that Jesus was the reason, but not only was he the reason, but he was there in the beginning. He's not God's plan B. He was there at the beginning. And so when we think we're seeing things go off the rails, look harder and we see what God is actually doing. We see his purpose because even at the fall of all this, Scripture tells us that Jesus was there, that God's plan was very much at work and that the world hadn't gone completely dark because the light was still there. And that God's plan would come to fruition and things would once again be made right. But here's the best part of that. 
Because this hasn't been a big journey just trying to get us back to stage step one. God's not trying to get us back to the garden because that was an unsustainable path that was from the very beginning. It was a path that was doomed to failure. But God is setting us up for the kind of right, the kind of path that lasts for all eternity where we can be both flawed and saved at the same time. The world fell to death, trial, and hardship at the moment of its fall. But also at the moment of its fall, there was a glimmer of hope as God promised salvation. From that point, on, from, from that point the world continues. <clears throat> the people of God continue. Uh, they go up, they go down. Uh, they're always looking to others to be their source of salvation. They're always coming up short. They build huge towers. They worship foreign gods. They lean on kings. And even with Saul at the worst and David at the best, it's still not enough. But in the end of these times, we can see through this that the word of God is promised. Even through all these times of the ups and downs and lefts and rights and everything else that seems to go wrong, and it seems there's this other thing that God keeps doing through the voices of prophets and the Word of God, where He tells of the coming Messiah. He reminds of the promise over and over again in Scripture. We see it in the life of Abraham when He says that I will bless every nation or everybody in the world through you. We see it in the life of Jacob where he reaffirms that promise. We see it through Joseph whenever he saves his entire people from famine by bringing them to Egypt where they become this great nation. We see it through Moses whenever God takes them from Egypt, delivers them, and they become their own state. (coughs) Excuse me. We see it through the prophets. We see it through conquest and failure. We see it through kings. This promise that something is coming. And the world begins to anticipate. Attention builds across the timeline of humanity. Longing, yearning for things to be made right. One of my favorite Christmas songs is the song, O Holy Night. Um, But there's a spot where it says, A thrill of hope. For the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And that's what we see. See, at one point in history, it seems like God is completely silent for a very long time. And then we see, going forward in history, that Rome has conquered the Israelites. They're completely under the oppression of Rome. Everything seems to be going from bad to worse, and they're just longing. They're talking about the Messiah. This must be the time. When is the Messiah going to come? Because Rome is awful, and we have been promised that God will come and conquer this. And so there was this tension in this building waiting for it. And then finally, what we read in Luke chapter 2, something happened. Something finally happened. And we see the promise fulfilled. In Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. 
and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was from the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. One of my favorite things about Luke is his attention to detail in this. Because let's, 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 let's look at that again. In chapter 2, starting in verse 1, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. This is a real person. Historically, Caesar Augustus is a real person that the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, a real person, was governor of Syria, a real place that still exists today. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, a real place, from the town of Nazareth, a real place, to Judea, a real place, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Luke goes into incredible detail. And if you get anything from that right now, get this. This actually happened. You know, sometimes we can read... uh, and our minds kind of fill in like this mythical place, like if we were reading The Lord of the Rings or Narnia or something like that. But this happened in our world. Bethlehem exists. It's 6,800-something miles from where I'm standing right now. And I say that to say this. Not only were the places real, but what I'm about to tell you actually happened. It's something It's not something that exists in our minds as if it were a book. This happened in our world, and it's important to get that because if we don't get that, we miss out on the weight of this next part we're going to read. Because Mary and Joseph Joseph go to Bethlehem, and then we read that the word, the logos, from the beginning of time, steps into the world. We read that in John chapter 1, verse 14. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word here is incarnation. That God took on our flesh. Meaning that God looked at his creation And he knew that we're never going to be able to live the way that would allow us to be together. He also looked at the punishment for sin and knew that that was something that we would never be able to pay. And so God's plan for that was not to just write us off, was not to say, fine, here's the thing you have to do, and if you do it, then maybe you can get close to me. That's not what God says. God's plan for realizing that was that he steps into our story He comes to us. He puts on our flesh. He lives the life that we can't live. And all the religions of the world, we're the only one that shows what God went through to get to us, not the other way around. He knew that we couldn't live the life that we were supposed to, so he did it for us. Not to show us that it was possible and tell us to work harder, but because he knew that we couldn't and he still wants us. And when faced with the punishment of sin, he knew that we couldn't stand up to that either, so he took it on himself. It was his plan from the beginning that he would take the punishment that we couldn't pay so that we could experience the reward that we could never earn. He doesn't owe it to us. He doesn't need us. 
But get the power of this. He wants us. He wants us so much that from the very beginning, before he even got into all of this, he planned for that. He was prepared for that. Hmm. And so we get together every week, really, but specifically at this time of year. And we remember and celebrate the moment when the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And so today, I want you to take a moment and I want you to hear the words of John chapter 1. But actually hear, hear them and understand what they mean. Let them pierce you. Because the very first line is incredible. So let's read through this together. Starting in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own. And his people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's incredible. But it's also made more incredible whenever we realize that the baby in the major eventually becomes the man on the cross who was killed, who, bar- who was buried, and who conquered death itself. Remember the incredible links that your Savior has gone, that God has gone to reach you. You have a Father who loves you. You have a Father who wants you. You have a Father who knows you exactly as you are and wants you exactly as you are, not as you should be. A Father who has prepared and planned for our inability to be obedient. He knows you. And if even for a moment you think that your sin is too much for his grace, that your sin can keep you from his grace, understand that his love was of the caliber, that it withstood the entire wrath of God and still stood firm. There is nothing your sin can do to touch a love of that magnitude. From the very beginning... Jesus brought light into the world. So the challenge I have today is to bring that light into your heart. Allow it to shine in the dark places that you hide away from God and everyone else. 
God already knows your heart. One of my challenges is to allow that light to penetrate you. Allow that light to be what defines you and moves you forward because we have a Savior who didn't stand idly by while his world went to hell. We have a Savior who saw the dire circumstance of his people and stepped in and took the punishment upon himself so that we can live his reward. Because God's purpose did not end at the cross and resurrection. It continues in his church. It continues in you. And so today we get to come together and we get to celebrate that on a silent night, a child was born. And that God put on our flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we love you. Um, Father, I, 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 that doesn't do it justice. Father, I ask that you would just break us with the truth of what you've done for us. God, that it would just, it would just tear us apart, but Father, it would tear us apart in a way where you can put us together. That we would be defined by your love and by what you're doing. Father, I ask that our greatest desires would be your purpose that you would rewire us, that you would transform us through your spirit. Thank you so much for stepping into our story. God, please help that to come home to us often. Lord, we love you. We ask these things in the name of Jesus.